Welcome to Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please use the hashtag NowChurch. Thank you, and enjoy today's service. It's good to see so many new faces this week. Some of you were working last week. Some of you were away for Memorial Day weekend. But regardless, you are here today. And so we want to say thank you for being with us. It is exciting to be together. Did you feel safe tonight coming in? Did you feel safe last week going out? We're trying our best to keep everybody going forward. Also, I want to say a big hello and thanks to Pastor Manny Cabazudo, my dear friend, one of my best uh, pastor friends in Ocala, my best pastor friend in Ocala. And uh, he is with us tonight because uh, they're kind of contemplating how they're going to get back to services. And I said, hey, come over and check us out how we're doing it and see if you can glean anything from us because we're not perfect, but we're learning and we're trying to do it better and better every week. Amen? To keep people safe. So give it up for Pastor Manny. Pastor Manny, stand up and wave at everybody. That's a great man of God over there. We're opening tonight with a scripture out of the book of Job, or if when I was a teenager, I incorrectly said to my Sunday school teacher, what's this book of Job about? But anyway, uh, the story of Job is a story of a, of a man who, he's a good man, and he has a heart for God, but we don't know how much he knows about God, and that's kind of what the story is about. But he's a religious man, he's an upright man, he's trying to do the best he can, and it says in Job chapter one, verse one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. The Bible, you know, Bible doesn't say this, but some people thought he was the wizard of Uz. <laughs> Glad to have you back. Anyways, uh, just tested that to see if you're still awake. Job 1.1, 1, 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job and the man was blameless and upright, one who feared God, worshiped all of God and shunned evil. Um, the Bible says, it went on to say he was blessed. He had lots of stuff had seven sons, three daughters, had a lot of possessions. And what the Bible tells him, I'm not going to read it right here, but I'll, I'll skip down a little bit in a second. But it says that he would, he'd get up early in the morning as his children grew into adulthood, and there was something hinky going on in the children, okay? The children were grown up, and they were not fearing God. And so he was so concerned about it. And if you've ever had a child that was kind of teetering on the edge or they were getting around people. They were trying to talk them out of their faith and out of the way that you brought them up in the things of God. Boy, you pray and you believe. And that's what Job did. So he would offer sacrifices, the Bible says, uh, to pray for his children. And, and, and at some point, the Bible says in the next part of that chapter that the enemy comes to accuse people before God. You know, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. And he comes to accuse, and he, and, he, and he starts actually challenging God, and God starts bragging about Job that's at least in pursuit of him. And this accusation comes up, and this is what the enemy says, Job 1.10, have you, he says to God, the devil says to God, have you not made a hedge around him? Everybody say hedge. hedge. We're going to talk about that tonight, today. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has 
and he will surely curse you to your face. And God said, don't call me surely. No, that's not true. And he will surely curse you to your face. And uh, message, remember, I preached a message a few years ago before some of y'all got here that the enemy thinks all he has to do to get you to curse God and walk away from God is to mess with your stuff. It's to start messing with your health, mess with your money, mess with your job, mess with your marriage. And that's what Job starts going through this attack. And all the people around Job even start telling him, even his wife starts saying, you know what, you, you, God's not helping you. Maybe he's not real, maybe he's busy. And they try to get Job to curse God and walk away from his relationship. But you know what? He wouldn't do it. We'll talk more about it in a few moments, but James chapter five, I want to weave in there, mentions Job also. James 5.10 says this, my brethren, take the prophets. Remember we're talking about faith of our fathers. Look at the people that God has put before us. Well, one of them is Job. And, and, and James says in five, chapter five, verse 10, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. For you have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Today's message is called See the Intended End. You've heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, Father, I need you to help me, Holy Spirit, on this Pentecost weekend. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us ears to hear and let your word penetrate all the junk and all the stuff happening in our world. In Jesus' name, make us worshipers. Amen. Faith of our fathers. Last week we talked about the crossing, crossing over through the storm. We talked about crossing on the other side of the storms of life and we finished with the question, who can this be? Who can speak to the storms? Who is this Jesus? Who is this one who can speak into any tempest or tornado and command it to be still? But he has given us the power to do that too and that's what we're celebrating and talking about tonight more. We can fuel the storm with soulish responses, or we can silence the storm by choosing to cling to the word and speak the word. Last week, we talked about the fact that the disciples moved at the end of that story. They moved in fear, but they changed the type of fear. There was a fear that meant intimidation, and Jesus rebuked it. But it says, and they became exceedingly fearful, and that wasn't about intimidation. That was about worship, reverential awe of God. I believe we need to change fear. I, need to, we, I believe we need to fear and respect God more than we fear man or what man says about us or the intimidation of what the enemy tries to do in the earth. I was thinking about this, you know, um, our grandkids, we just had Cole's birthday a couple weeks ago. He's 11, the oldest grandson is 11, which is kind of weird to me. He's grown so fast. And it just shows how fast life is moving when you're, when you, you know, first you measure it by your kids and their school age. Well, then they're gone for a while and then they find their own spouses, thank God. And they find good people, thank God. 
And then they start giving you grandkids and that's when you want to hug them all over again and say, thank you for giving me these kids. We love you. Give us more. Anyway, no. So, but recently now, so, so there's an 11-year-old and then his little brother's five, five and a half, almost six. And then our son and his wife, we have two granddaughters. Mila's five, almost five and a half. And then Alana's two. And then we got a new baby on the way with Pastor Kristen and Tristan coming in uh, September. And we're so excited about that. So it's a, it's a great time, but the time is moving fast. And I say that because um, the beds, you know, the stories, my wife, they call her Gigi. For Grandma Gail, they call her Gigi. And Gigi reads a lot of stories to the kids when they're over. And that's recently begun to change because now the two five-year-olds are starting to read stuff back to us. And I just was remembering how much I cherish those times with my own kids, just reading the bedtime stories. And, 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 I, and they particularly back in those days loved the, the end of the story when it said, and they lived happily ever after, the end. And I thought about it, you know, the best stories or movies finish with happy endings. They finish with something redemptive, something, a takeaway that makes you, makes you feel better. Today's movies, I mean, some of them are so dark, uh, not just in the way they're shot, but some are so dark that the end you feel, yuck. I don't know how to even spell that. But you feel like, wow, I need a shower. This stuff is dark, it's bleak. I was looking for something better to come out of this and it's not there because all the stuff on television and movies reflects what's going on in the hearts and minds of the writers and the directors and the actors and all that. So it's, it's no wonder it gets darker. But I was thinking about season finales and series finales. They're supposed to tie up the loose ends, leave a couple of things to keep you curious. And good is always supposed to triumph over evil in the end. Why? Because that's God's story. That's the truth. That's the truth, that good wins, that love wins, that God always triumphs and the enemy is nothing compared to our God. I've been around miracles for the last 35, 36 years of my life and we've seen a lot. But I wanted to, I just felt tonight to share a little story because one of the greatest miracles that I've ever witnessed with my own eyes happened in our own church in the early days of Now Church, what was then Spirit Life. We had a men's prayer breakfast, maybe a year in, maybe not even a year in. And uh, in fact, I almost, I'm almost sure Pastor Chris was there. I'm almost sure that York Gresser was there. And I'm almost sure Dave Blackman was there. So I don't know if you'll remember this, but here's, this, this stayed indelibly impressed me because it was one of the greatest miracles I've ever seen. My wife and I had a, a friend, uh, a couple that we were friendly with that were a little bit older than us that we knew from our previous church. And when we got filled with the Holy Spirit, we just felt that God said, you need to go tell them about your experience before you move down to Orlando to go into ministry. This couple, you need to let them know and share what happened about the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Bill and Sherry uh, were great friends of ours and we went to their house and 
Sherry was wide open to what we were saying about the power of the Holy Spirit. And Bill was very angry. I'll tell you why Bill was angry. Bill was angry because their oldest daughter had gotten into drugs as a teenager and wound up running off with an African-American guy that was a drug dealer. And this racist, this racial anger, this, this anger at people because of the color of their skin got so in Bill Gibson. And we knew him for years in the church. He, that's not who he was. That's not, that's not how we knew him. And all of a sudden to see him, and he was like, and we said, Bill, you gotta give, back, give your life back to God. He was just getting harder. He was getting miserable. And he said, I, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna give my life back to God because I know what he's gonna require me to do and forgive that guy and I'm not gonna do it. He was that blatant about it. We had an outreach the first December around Christmas. As a church, we went out to Lake Lillian in Bellevue and we had some type of outdoor thing we participated in. And Bill came, it was a really cold night, and Bill came that night, Sherry brought him. By that time, she had started coming to the church, and she was really coming strong into God and being just hungry for the Holy Spirit. And she brought Bill that night, and Bill came, and I said, Bill, how are you doing? He said, I'm miserable. And I said, good. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've been praying for you. And the problem is sometimes stubborn people won't change until they get miserable. I said, are you ready to surrender yet or do, do you need more misery? He goes, I'm not ready to surrender. Said, okay. Do you remember, does anybody remember that story? So a few months go by, we have a men's prayer breakfast. It was a Saturday morning. And I got a call the night before from Bill's wife and said, Bill's coming tomorrow to the men's prayer breakfast. He won't come to church yet, <clears throat> but he's coming to the men's prayer breakfast. It's fantastic. So Bill comes in. We had, I don't know. Do you remember that? York, were you in that meeting? You remember that meeting? It was probably, Pastor Chris, you remember it. Probably about 20 of us maybe spread out long tables. <clears throat> they went in like a U shape. And, uh, and I just said, everybody find a seat. So Bill came by himself and he ended up sitting by, just sitting by these guys. And at the end of the thing, we talked about the power of God that day. At the end of the meeting, the end of the breakfast, I just said, guys, I want you to get with somebody else that you didn't come to, to the meeting with today. And I'm gonna put you in groups of two. We're gonna pray for each other. And as we began to pray, we began to, everybody began to look at Bill and this young African-American guy who his wife and he had started coming to the church they just happened to sit next to each other and they started praying. And next thing I know, there was an explosion of tears. It was a, it was a snot fest. It was, it was gross. It was just, I'm just telling you, it was, it, I mean, these guys were uh, embracing, crying. I mean, it was unbelievable. And we stood there. And, and so when, they, when we calmed them down after we were done praying, I said, what happened? And, 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 and all I had told them to do, when you get with your partner, ask him what's the main thing that's on your heart that you need prayer for today. And Bill turns to this young African-American man who is married to a white wife. And that young man looked at Bill in the eye and said, I have a white father-in-law who hates my guts and I need you to pray. And he, he said to Bill, what do you want me to pray for? 
And Bill said, I have a black son-in-law and I hate his guts and I need you to pray for me. And I'm telling you, the power of God hit that place like a bomb. Bill, still in touch with Bill, he's still serving God, went on to Bible school, went on to head up a ministry in England for a few years with he and his wife. Still great people, still in love with Jesus. Sometimes the greatest miracle is to get rid of hate. Sometimes the greatest miracle is to, when you can see God move in ways supernaturally because only the Holy Spirit can transform hate into love. It can never be by the flesh. Violence can never overcome violence, Jesus said. Hatred can never cast out hatred. But perfect agape casts out fear. More laws won't change hearts. We condemn racism in this church. But we also pray for revival because it's not just about condemning the wrong. It's about showing forth the right. In Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, the Bible says that they began to be united in their languages. And 15 different languages were united together on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and put aside all of their differences and made them Christians. People groups could pray and understand each other in one language of the Spirit because of Pentecost. May it be that this year as we experience the Passover, that we experience the power of Pentecost, not just this weekend, but as, an, as a fresh move of God comes upon our land. In another powerful redemption story, Job, the man who loved God but still lost everything for a season. Scholars and theologians have debated this passage, this book of Job, for hundreds of years, maybe thousands. Despite the fact that Job feared God, was a worshiper, and prayed often, even offering burnt sacrifice to the Lord on behalf of his children, still seemingly lost everything for a time, didn't he? In a clear-cut attack of the devil himself. The promised theologians and the experts blame God. They take the story of Job and they don't look at all the nuances that are said. They just simply point out this conversation between God and the devil but I want you to know this, the lie that they perpetrate is a lie. And this, this, is what they, this is what they postulate. This is what they say. Human suffering is the will of God. And I'm telling you that God is not a God who makes us suffer. He's a, God of, he's a good God who has come to, over, to, to overcome the suffering of mankind and sent his son Jesus to experience it for us that we don't have to go through it to that extent ourselves. We live in a fallen world, but the anger of man will never achieve the righteousness of God. Human suffering is not the will of God. It isn't. Here's what the Bible teaches in the book of Job and through other places I'm gonna show you in scripture. God places a hedge of divine protection around his people. Psalm 91 verse two. The psalmist said, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. I will say of the Lord. Psalm 125 verse two from the message to this, mountains encircle Jerusalem. 
And God encircles his people, always has and always will. The previous part of that verse says that those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. They're unmovable. Zechariah 2.5 says this, For I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, my church, Zion, and I will be the glory in her midst. My friends, God has a hedge around your life. God wants to do great things with that hedge. But you have power to enforce it or power to tear it down. We have another greeting right now from some pastor friends of ours from England, I believe, that want to say hi for our 30th anniversary. Let's watch. Hey, Richard and Gail and everybody at the wonderful What Spirit Life Church, now it's now church, has been for a few years. What an amazing achievement, 30 years old. Congratulations. <laughs> wow, 30 years, that's amazing. Richard and Gail, we've, we've known you for quite a long time now. And, um, and Richard, I just want to say, whenever you've been over to our church, you've always had a word for us. And, um, and it's been spot on and you've really inputted into our church. Um, but when we've been over with you, we have loved being in your church. We've felt welcomed. It's um, just this, um, yeah, the spirit of God. But just we felt so welcomed and loved. And it's an amazing church, so vibrant and doing things in the community. So congratulations. 30 years, another 30 years at least. Yeah, fantastic. You know what, I think the first time I knew you, which was back in 1998, I had hair and yours was a different colour, I think it was. I don't know what it is now, but anyway, you know what, it's been nearly 20 years we've known each other and you have absolutely enriched our lives. And I want to speak to the church really and say you are so blessed to have two amazing pastors that, that you have. You know what, um, even though you've had an amazing past, I really believe that everything that God has for you in the future is absolutely huge. You know what, God um, has already gone before you, he's already opened doors for favour, and I'm going to believe God for his favour to go ahead of you in the most amazing ways. You've already achieved so much, you know, um, it's it's obviously according to his grace, but it's been... It's been the faith of God on the inside of the church to just absolutely keep going and to, it's, it's assessing God's word, you know, to, to stretch out and to enlarge the place of your tent and to strengthen your stakes and all of that. You know what, as a church, that's exactly what you've done. You know, year in and year out, you've stretched out, you've strengthened, you've believed God, you've stood on God's word, you've prayed, you've prophesied, you've praised, and you, and. It's a cliche, I know, but I absolutely believe that the best is still to come. So we're um, on your side, we're standing for you, and we're absolutely, you know, if I could be there, I'll give you a hug. The only people I can hug at the moment is my family, because we're in this crazy thing that's going on at the moment. You know what? But um, if I was there, it would be such a celebration to be with you. So uh, our heart goes to you all today. So thanks ever so much for the relationship that we have and we are expectant of the most amazing things in the future. I love Pastor Jay, Pastor Julian and Sharon Melfi. Great church, Citygate Church in London. Uh, as we get back to talk about Job for the final few moments that we have together, the question becomes this. Who or what broke down Job's protective hedge? If there was a hedge there, 
then what happened to it? Because he lost everything. He lost his children, he lost his farm, he lost his business, he lost cattle and, 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 and sheep and all these things. He lost his livelihood. But he would not curse God and he would not give up. Ecclesiastes 10.8 from the King James tells us best what happened to, to Edge. Where the Bible says, he that diggeth a pit shall fall into it himself. And whoso breaketh an hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Let me say it again. Whoso breaketh a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. You understand the Bible? You gotta let the Bible interpret the Bible. You gotta find other places, other verses that explain what happens. Something created an opening in the hedge. As Job starts to have a pity party for himself, he starts telling his friends that he wished he was never even born. Then he reveals what had been going on in his heart the whole time, even when he was praying for his family. And he says in Job 3, 25 and 26, for the thing I greatly feared has come upon me and that what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest for trouble comes. My friends, what you and I have to realize is that the Bible is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. God doesn't just look at what we're doing. He looks at why we're doing what we're doing. And Job re reveals his heart to those friends when he says, you know what? This is exactly what I feared. I saw this in my heart. <clears throat> I saw this in my mind. And I believed it. And now it happened because I thought that's what was going to happen. I dreaded this thing. And now it's happened to me. My friends, the enemy of your soul wants to work through false words and false images. The enemy of your soul works by showing you things and trying to get you to say them, trying to get you to agree with them, trying to get you to post about them, trying to get you to do something about them. The enemy of your soul, he projects his will. What's his will? To steal, kill, and to destroy. We talked about it a few weeks ago. I just, and I want to... I want to challenge you sometimes because <clears throat> I feel like when I preach a now word, sometimes you receive it that week, but that you don't meditate on it for future weeks. I just happened to go back and read my notes this week from the first week of March, March the 1st, which was our last normal week before I left for Europe. And then the 15th, I came back and we were already starting to wear masks and all that stuff was going on. March the 1st, I preached a message called True-ish. I wish you would read it in light of what's going on in the world today. I wish you would see it again. We have an archive for you. It's right there on our website, spiritlife.com. Spiritlife.com, yeah, that's about 20 years old. <clears throat> Nowchurch.com, they mentioned spirit life and now it's in me. Nowchurch.com, you can look back at these messages archived. We archive them so you'll look back sometimes and say, you know what? That message had something. Maybe I need to hear that again. I want to challenge you to look back because I look back and I was shocked at some of the things that we need now that I said then. You have the power. Remember we said this. The stronghold, the word stronghold in 2 Corinthians 10 is the word prison of lies. Prison of lies. And we said this. You have the power over the prison of lies. Pulling down 
the prison of lies, taking every thought captive. Why? Because we said that week, you're the gatekeeper of your own heart and your own mind. You're the gatekeeper. You say what goes. You don't want it coming out of you. You can't let it in you. Garbage in, garbage out. In Jesus' name, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 from the Passion Translation says this way, we can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, I love this, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. You ever noticed if you shop on an app or shop online, the next time you go to your social media, that thing appears? The shoes you looked at, the clothes you looked at. I think that's an example of exactly what happens in our lives. You start looking at something and that thing will start popping up in your soul. You start looking at an image. You start looking at something and you're opening the door for that thing to keep appearing. And now you feed on it. For 42 chapters of the book of Job, Job is stuck in the ancient version of social media. He's in a discussion with three friends that are giving their opinion. Read it like that. He's in this whole thing. And suddenly, after 42 chapters of all this yammer, yammer, here's what I think you should do. Here's what I think God is like. Here's what you should, though it's it's punishment because of this and that. Suddenly his spiritual eyes are opened. And in Job 42, verse five and six, Job says to God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Did you know it's possible to be a prayer warrior, to love God and to pursue God, but to be so motivated by religion and fear and tradition that you actually don't see God? Because Job reveals, hey, I knew about you, but I don't think I've really seen you until now. Verse six, therefore, now I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's not saying about self-hatred. It's from, he's saying, now that I see your holiness, I see the sinfulness of myself and I repent for my sin in dust and ashes, repentance. Can I get you up here, Ryan? I wanna talk to the people at home. I wanna talk to you in the room because we can yammer on sometimes about our own pity party and our own stuff that we're going through and we can actually miss out on everything God's wanting to do in us because we think that faith is based on what we already knew and what we already had happen. But I wanna say this to you directly. God wants to do something in your life. Stop looking at everybody else and you have to see God for yourself. Job comes to the realization after 42 chapters of yammering and religious platitudes and the opinions of his friends and said, I heard about you, but I didn't see you. I didn't know you for myself. Friend, do you know him? That's the honest to God truth. I've known pastors that realized after years of serving out that they really didn't know him. Have you repented? 
When you've seen the glimpse of him and his holiness, have you repented? Have you cried out and said, God, forgive me. I am a sinful person. I am broken. I am undone. That's the problem in this world. The root of everything is sin. And Jesus came to reveal himself to the whosoever wills. I got a couple more things to say, but I want to pray with you right now. I want to pray with you right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes in this room? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person watching and connecting with us online and everybody in this building. And I proclaim the Lordship of Jesus Christ, not as some dominance, but as the King of glory, as the Father of lights, as the one who loved you enough to lay down his life for you. No greater love is there than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Are you a friend of God? Have you seen him? Father, open all of our eyes. And if that's you, I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to pray with me right now. Everybody in the room and everybody at home, say this out loud right now. Just say it with me out loud. Lord Jesus, I receive you as the Lord of my life, I ask you now to reveal yourself to me. Father, forgive me for my own self-pity. Help me instead to lift my eyes to you and to point others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you put your hands together and give it up for people who are praying right now? The second thing I want you to do is I want you to text. I want you to respond on whatever platform you're watching on. And I want you to let somebody know that you prayed today. Because that's the beginning place. That's the beginning of your great miracle as well. A couple more things and I'm done. But I want you to see this. Job's heart, when it was changed, it was changed to turn outward. It was changed from being focused on himself for 42 chapters. Woe is me, look what I've lost. Instead, he began to care more for others. There was a heart shift from, oh my God, what about me? To what must other people be feeling when they see this, when they go through this? Job 42, verse 10 proves it and says this. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. When he turned that pain into prophetic prayer for others. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. If you read a few verses into it, it says he didn't have twice as many children, but he had, he had, he had lost seven sons and three daughters. God gave him seven new sons and three beautiful daughters. And the oldest daughter was named Jemima. And she started a maple syrup company that went on to, anyway, that's God's faithfulness. Faith sees God's intent. Aren't you glad to be home? I'm so glad you're here. I can't even stand it. I'm just so glad you're here in the room, whether you're laughing, crying or anything, just don't spit. I'm just so glad but faith sees God's intended end. Faith sees the end of a virus. Faith sees what life returns to on the other side of a pandemic. Faith sees what happens and what changes we need to make inwardly 
to turn this into an opportunity to reach out to other people? Have you shared your faith during this pandemic? Or have you just pulled into yourself and worried about your toilet paper? That's the honest truth. Because, it, because many people have, but let it not be so among God's people that we just worry about our own stuff, but instead we turn our light outward and start sharing. Because God said his intention is to give you a future and you a hope. In fact, in Isaiah 61 verse seven, it confirms Job's end. And it says, instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Everybody say double honor. What's our takeaway for today? You can either build or rebuild your hedge by faith and repent for the wrong things, the wrong images. Or you can just go on like you've been going on and stay frustrated and stay hurt. Turn your pain into prophetic promise. We used to sing an old song Back when I worked at Channel 55, my first ministry, full-time ministry, as many of you know, was at Super Channel 55 in Orlando before I was on staff with Pastor Benny Hinn. And they used to sing a song called Jesus Build a Fence. I don't know if you know that. I know P.L. probably doesn't know, but you know that, huh? Friend Hammond version. See, I didn't know that one. You can do that if you want. But it's just simply a little chorus of this. Jesus Build a Fence. All around me every day. Jesus, I want you to protect me as I travel along life's way. Lord, I know you can. Lord, I know you will. Fight my battles if I only keep still. Build a fence all around me every day. That's it. Yeah, thank you. It's not about that. Listen, it's the words. Think about that. If we have faith for the hedge to be there, We're not gonna be out there freaking out like everybody else. We're gonna begin to be that light and say, you know what? This is not about just me feeling better. This is about how I can use everything going on in the world today as an opportunity to reach somebody else. God's final chapters always include massive amounts of compassion and mercy. And he finishes every story with redemption because God's nature is restoration, isn't it? I'll finish with this verse, Psalm 107 verse two. It says this, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord speak up. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim, I'm redeemed. Would you tell somebody right now, I'm redeemed. No matter what's going on in the world, I'm redeemed. And out of that redemption, I can turn my energy and my disgust and my frustration and my concern into prayers that begin to shape and change and shift. Build a fence and help me to invite people into it. Build an ark and let me invite people onto my boat because that's where Jesus is. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us at Now Church. For the latest updates, visit us at nowchurch.com, including live or on-demand video, online giving, and much more. And don't forget to follow Now Church on our social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Thank you.